There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has redeemed us. From death into life now we walk in His freedom. We are the children of God. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has redeemed us. From death into life now we walk in His freedom. We are the children of God. So we sing out as brothers, sing out as sisters. We are the children of God. And we are no longer slaves. He has given us new names. We are the children of God. As we suffer for His name and live as His children, we long for the days we can run from these prisons. No longer bound by the sin that surrounds us Forever we live with our God So we sing out as brothers Sing out as sisters We are the children of God And we are no longer slaves He has given us new names We are the children of God The children of God There is nothing in all of creation No power of hell, neither angels or demons Not death or not life or not fear for tomorrow Can separate us from His love I'm convinced there is nothing in all of creation No power of hell, neither angels or demons Death or not life or not fear for tomorrow Can separate us from His love So we sing out as brothers Sing out as sisters We are the children of God And we are no longer slaves He has given us new names We are the children of God So we sing out as brothers Sing out as sisters we are the children of God And we are no longer slaves He has given us new names We are the children of God The children of God Children of Carpenter's Way. I'm going to wake you up. Um, if you're in the room, you're a mom, uh, I want to be the first to say from us, from this perspective anyway, happy Mother's Day. Uh, thank you for all that you guys do for us. We'd be lost without you. Let's just tell the truth. Dads have no idea what's going on. So yeah, thank you for uh, all you guys do. If you're in the room, if you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. You do not have to, but if you want to stand and worship with us, big thing is just don't be a spectator. Join in with us this morning.
You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness. You give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord. It's your bread in our lungs so we pour out our praise pour out our praise it's your bread in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only you give life you are love you bring life the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and great are you Lord it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only All the earth shout your praise. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Praise are you, Lord. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. All the earth falls, all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our so we pour out our praise to you only. Oh, we pour out our praise. Amen. Amen. We're about to sing a song called uh, My Delight. And uh, 
I looked up the definition because, you know, you never know. You write a song and like you hope it means what you think it means. Um, it means taking joy, basically taking joy in something. Your delight, you're delighting in that. But before that, we're going to read, we're going to read a passage of scripture that I think might be the greatest couple lines in scripture, especially on this side of the cross. Um, so as we read through this, uh, Gina's going to lead us, and uh, if you guys want to stand and, uh, and do that, and, uh, read this with us, you can. But uh, we're going to read through uh, Romans 8, 1 through 3, and uh, just think about what you're reading, and in light of that, singing about delighting in Him. I think it goes well together. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. All it takes is a moment All it takes is a word To bring light to the dark And give life to this heart You are hope, you are peace to my soul You're the one who sustains me you're the voice speaking truth I could search all the earth to find something of worth but all that I need is in you captivated my heart's away
Almighty God, you reign worthy, none more worthy, King of glory, God, you reign. Amen, amen, amen. You guys can be seated. We have a video. Tell you what, that was a half-hearted clap, but that's okay. That's okay. I just want to say, you know, we it is so easy today to trash on our culture and all the stuff, politics and everything, but I am so thankful that we live in a country that values family and a culture in the South that values moms and dads. And uh, you may not have children of your own, like the video said, but if you're married, you've got a child. We all know men are just big boys. And uh, we really do, and we, we are so thankful for you. And uh, would you just take a moment and look around you, and if you see a woman that looks like she's a mom, you'll know because she's tired. Would you, just, would you say congratulations, happy Mother's Day, and thank you. Just take a moment and do that. You don't have to get up unless you want to, but just say happy Mother's Day. Okay, we're not taking over the service, so let's stop. That's enough friendliness for today. You know, I was thinking, it's been interesting if, if you're on Facebook and all, there's a lot of people that, uh, that are hurting because you miss your mom who's gone to be with the Lord or she's passed on. But I, I just want to say, you know, one of the things I'm learning, I am pain adverse. I'm a big baby. I don't like pain, emotional pain, and I try to run from it all the time. But over the past few years, I've just become, begun, as I've gotten older, to realize the privilege there is in that kind of pain. The fact is, for most of us, and some of you are hurting over maybe the mom you didn't have, but for most of you this morning that are even missing a mom that's gone to be with the Lord, um, what a privilege to have had that. What a cool thing. You know, there is no way, I don't care how many Mother's Day and Father's Day we have, there is no way to know until they're gone just how much they did and how much you leaned on them. I mean, we can talk about how much you cook and how changing diapers, but the truth is there's nothing like having a mom you can lean on. And uh, I have that in my Karen, my stepmom, who is so loving to me. 
and uh, always calls me to see how I'm doing. And I always respond with the classic, that's none of your business, but thank you for calling. <laughs> but what a, what a blessing it is to have somebody to lean on. And uh, I, I know I look around this room and I see mothers of teenagers and all. And you know what? I'm just here to tell you that your best days are coming. You know, we have grandkids now. And what's really cool is you get to send them home and they get rowdy. But the cool thing is, they look at you so differently, especially in this culture. And it, what, a, what a wonderful thing to be a mom, and what a wonderful thing that values moms. And uh, I, just, I just think we're so blessed to live in this country. I know there's a lot of stuff we can complain about, but the fact that we can complain, uh, what a blessing. So happy Mother's Day, ladies. You, you mean the world to us, and uh, we, we can't say enough. And if you are mourning over the loss of a mom, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us moms that we miss when they're gone, right? That's, that's a privilege. Let's just take a moment. I want to pray for you, ladies, because your work is just beginning, and we know that. And so as your pastor and friend, I want to pray that God blesses you and gives you the strength you need. Lord Jesus, thank you for moms. Father, uh, it's kind of a, a weird nuance that you allowed your mother, your earthly mother Mary, to live your whole life. She outlived you. Uh, but your father, Lord, it looks like your surrogate dad on this earth, Joseph, we believe that he died when you were about 13 or 14. So you know how precious parents are. And you understand personally what it's like to have a father. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we live in a culture in the South. We live in a culture in America that values parenthood. May we never lose that. And Lord Jesus, I pray for the women in this, in this room this morning that they would uh, deeply in their soul, even if their skin is tired, I pray that they would realize this awesome task that you have given them to disciple children, whether it's their own, their grandchildren, their nephews and nieces, but what a privilege. And I pray you would bless them and you would strengthen them. And even today, as it's one day of the year that hopefully they won't have to do anything, that everything will be done for them, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would feel extremely blessed because you empower them every other day of the year. So draw us close to you. And may our love for each other and our kids and our husbands and our wives reflect the love you have for us. So we commit this day to you and we commit our moms and our wives to you and we ask you to bless them today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Robert Grimes, where are you, buddy? Robert is the pastor of missions. Jared Pig works with him at his right. They oversee our mission investment team. And there's some cool stuff going on and, and periodically Robert comes up and updates, updates you. And so he's going to do that this morning. Good morning, good morning. How is everybody? We serve an awesome God, don't we? It's actually amazing. So I'm, I am the missions pastor. I don't consider myself, uh, I am part-time along with, who am I asked to stand up? Jared Pig, which is standing up over there. We both take this as a real privilege and honor to serve Carpenter's Way as, a mission, as missions pastors. We enjoy it and, and we love doing it. And so recently, and y'all heard a little bit about it last week, We've developed a new web page, and it's absolutely fantastic. If you have not looked at it, you need to. Jeff Bonin and Justin White did an absolutely fantastic job on it. And right now, you see up on the, on the uh, camera there the missions page. This is one of the tabs that you can actually go to. And we're going to try to scroll down through that, and I'll show you what's on there. There it talks about what, as far as missions, who we support, and so forth. Then you have the trips, which we'll come back to. And each of these ministries that we're scrolling through right now are ministries that we support along with the IMB. These are local, dom uh, domestic, or foreign. 
And each one of them, if they have an active website, you can actually go to that website and, and check out the ministry. This is also a great opportunity for you to look through these and volunteer, because uh, all these ministries need help, okay? Every one of them need help. So it's a great opportunity for each of you to look at this and, and see if there's someone in there that you may want to uh, volunteer with and work with. It also is an opportunity for you to, for you to pray for these missionaries, because each one of them is, is unique in, this, in their situation. Each one of them has tough situations. It gets very stressful. And when we reach out and personally pray for these and, and communicate with them, it means a whole lot to them. So as we go through, you'll see the rest of them as, as we go through. As we add, we will add missionaries to this. I think this is great, just absolutely fantastic. We've got these sheets out on the table for each of these ministries out here, but this, for me, is so interactive and easy to use. Brazil. I think we already passed the people from Guatemala that we'll be working with on our Guatemalan trip this year. And that, those missionaries a minute ago were the missionaries from Brazil that we'll be working with. Indonesia, here in Lufkin. Godtail. That's our Russian missionaries who we need to pray for. And then so forth. Then we're going to go back up to the trips and this is what you can do. By the way, these missionaries, these people are selected every year. We have a mission investment team uh, that I'm not going to ask all of them to stand up because I'm not sure they're all here. But each and every one of them takes a lot of time in prayer, and every year we decide who we're going to give money to and, and who we may not give money to and who we give one-time gifts to. But you can click on this tab. By the way, Jeff, thank you for figuring this out and how to do it. Okay, these are the trips that we have right now. The one that's not up there is Brazil. But you can look through there. Those first two are Houston trips, and there's not really a specific date on those. those that's open-ended. Then the last one over there with two of our members wearing masks, so you can't tell who they are, but you should be able to figure it out. This is the trip we'll be taking, uh, hopefully we'll be taking to Iglesia Baptista, West Brownsville in uh, June, June 28th through July 2nd. We'll be working with, with them uh, in uh, twofold uh, operation. We'll work on doing some building maintenance, which they definitely need, but we'll also be working with migrants. And let me just say this about, because I wrote this down since I'm not good with remembering numbers. But so far, they've served 22,000 migrants. And what, we, what he told me the other day when I talked to him, you have to understand these migrants are from all over the world. They're actually serving Ukrainian uh, refugees there. Uh, they've served 41,000 meals, 9,000 decisions for Christ, which is absolutely awesome. They have a great ministry. It's a great opportunity for us to be involved. So if you're interested in that one, you can see me in the foyer right after church. But you can click on that. You can register for the trip. Doesn't mean necessarily you have to go. You actually can get some more information or whatever you want. We see you when you register. So we can call you and find out what you may need to know. And obviously that's our Guatemala trip. So go on there and look at that. Amazing website. Don't you think they did a great job? Yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day that didn't even go to church here, and they actually looked at that website, and they thought, man, that is a fantastic website. So they did a great job, and I, I just pray that y'all would use that tab. Use all the tabs, but especially that tab, especially the way it is in the times that we are in now. There's an awful lot of people need to know Jesus, and these are the people, as well as us, that can reach out to, uh, to the lost. 
So I appreciate y'all. Y'all have a great day. Mothers, y'all have a great Mother's Day. Thank you. You know, one of the things that happened, happened during uh, our COVID stuff is we, we tried to get more information in your hands without putting them in your hands. And so the web stuff, the internet stuff, we've completely renovated. Jeff has overseen all that with Zach uh, helping to kind of build the infrastructure here. And I know for the past few weeks, there hasn't been a guest network. Now there is, and it's all working. We, we finally got all the bugs out. So, uh, but this is so that we can get information to you. Um, and uh, the, the truth is, before COVID and we would hand out worship guides, most of you would leave them on the floor anyway. So now you have access to information. Some of you are laughing guiltily. <laughs> um, you are, uh, now you have it at your fingertips. Go to the website. It's going to be updated with uh, events, activities, the church calendar. So please, please use it. And uh, uh, I, I do want to say one more thing about this trip that we've got to uh, in South Texas, Migrant Ministries. Do not let your political views keep you from serving people that God bring into your life. I, I know it's a quandary. I know it. It's like, if I take care of them, then I'm endorsing that. Don't, God will take care of the migration stuff, and so we are voting but boy, if God brings somebody to you, it doesn't matter. You've never asked before, are you a legal citizen of the United States before you witness to them? Don't let that become an issue. And I have had people ask that here. We, are, we do not ask people before we minister to them, before we give food out, are you an American citizen? That is not part of the equation. If God brings somebody into our life, we, we minister to them. So as you think about it, some of you can't go on international mission trips. These trips, they're starting to put in, in, in the States are less invasive. They're much less money. We want you to serve. We want your hearts to be softened for the lost. And, uh, and we as a church need our hearts to be softened for the lost. It, it, it probably doesn't change the way you vote. That's not our goal. But it can certainly change the way you view people. And that is important because God is going to change our behavior by changing the way we think. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on. So this morning, um, and I know you got Mother's Day things going on after, uh, but let me just say, if you are not getting our emails on Friday, that you, you get an email every Friday from the church office. I think it comes from Dolores' email, but basically it's two things. It's our church worship guide. It's just the announcements. We call it a worship guide because it's always been called that. You might have called it a bulletin, but that comes out. And then also prayer needs, things that we're praying about for folks in our church and related stuff. So would you take some time and just peruse it, just look over it. Uh, at least then you'll be aware of what's going on. And uh, if you have any other questions, you can always call the church office. You can always email us. Our information's on there, and we'll try to get you to the person because together we do this. So anyway, uh, thanks a lot for listening to all of that and, and jump in uh, because the truth is I'm not Carpenter's Way. You are. We are. Together uh, we make this family. So uh, I want to get back into, let's, let's get into our text this morning. We are in 2 Peter this morning, and if you recall, we began last week looking at the first two verses of this letter, uh, so we haven't gotten very far, but, um, but we're going to this morning, we're going to get through two more verses. I mean, we are jamming. But uh, these are the verses we looked at last, uh, last week, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This letter is from Simon Peter, and this next line is what we talked about, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So I'm a sent one. You guys know that. He's saying they know him. He wrote his first letter. 
but I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And it is the best of our, to the best of our knowledge, he is in a Roman prison. There's three years between his first letter, we know as 1 Peter, and 2 Peter. There's about three years. Uh, with the dating that we put these at, he's within a year of being hung upside down on a cross. He is most likely, according to tradition, in prison already in the, in the Roman judicial system that he will not be released from. Uh, he will be killed at the end of this. He knows it. And his comment on being a slave of God is basically saying, I belong to him. He can do whatever he wants with me. My life is his. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. Okay, I got to talk about that. So, and you can listen to last week's message, but I love the adjective here because I think those of us who grew up in Christianity don't really see how just how precious this is. You know, we, we either like or don't like church. We either like or don't like pastors. We either like or don't like the politics. But one thing that all children of God can agree on and it's what we should be focused on is the faith in God that, he, that we have. That is what's precious. We're trying to build families that reflect that. That is what the church is. For those of you who don't go to church, for those of you watching online that don't want anything to do with the body of Christ again, you're not helping us. You're hindering us. If you have the answers to the church's brokenness that doesn't change the gospel message, get your rear end in here and do work. That's what we do together. This is not top-down ministry. This is us. That's that's why we have so many pastors in our church that are lay pastors. Robert, I was very proud of you this morning. Usually you say you're not paid. You, you, know, you want everybody to know that so your reward in heaven is full. Um, but the truth is we have lots of unpaid staff here. And the reason is because, because that's what they are. They are shepherds. They're pastors. They're elders. And they're leading. We have Bible study leaders that are leading, that are shepherds. And they're doing a phenomenal job leading this flock. But you know what? Without sheep, there's no need for a shepherd. And the truth is, all of you are being discipled into leadership. Let me tell you a little secret about how I handle the Word. My goal in handling the Word, first and foremost, is Christian-focused, followers of Jesus. But my goal is to teach you to model how to handle the Word of God. That's even more important than what I teach in my thinking. I want you to know how to handle God's Word. So I'm very careful in how I present. That's why I go verse by verse. It's why we go through book by book most of the time, because I want you to know that anybody can take anything out of its context and make it say whatever they want. But I want you to see it in its context, as difficult as it may be or as wonderful it is. But I love this precious faith that we have. And I think sometimes as, 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 as uh, lifelong believers, and most of you are, I think we forget how precious this faith is. And he goes on to say, this faith, faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. A line I did not say last week, but I want to point out, for those of you who are not sure that Jesus Christ is God, you have another problematic verse right here. If you believe that Peter was an apostle, if you believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, here again, and the Jehovah's Witness try to make this claim, but here again, in many places in the New Testament, it identifies Jesus as God. And here's an example. So if you're not sure on whether or not Jesus is God, all you've got to do is read the Bible. It's very clear. Well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, then I don't know where you're going to find your truth. Good luck with that. Everybody's, it's, it's a free-for-all. But, but because of reasonable faith, and we've talked about this on Wednesday night, the Word of God, the Bible, what you have in your hands, what you have on your shelf, 
It is a book that was, it was six, it's made up of 66 books written over 1,400 years by 44 different authors. And what is ironic is the more we find older texts, texts that are closer to the original documents, the more accurate we realize these documents are. Well, why are there so many versions of the Bible? Because language changes and, we, and it is imperative upon the church to make sure people understand what it's saying. And nobody here... I'm about to take a shot at the King James Version. Ready? Nobody speaks the King's English in this room. Boy, howdy. Nobody, amen. It's okay if you like the King James. It's a very good Bible. I'm not saying it's not. I'm simply saying that you have to, you have to translate it into modern English. That's just how language works. And, uh, and, and so that's why we have modern versions, uh, to help us understand more and more what it says. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Uh, I, I think it is not shocking that most people who spend time in the New Testament and study the apostles, I mean, the truth is there's probably, I think there's only four or five apostles that we know much about. I know that sounds weird. We know there's 12 um, and what we're going to do right now is I'm going to have you name all of them. Yeah, yeah that was a half laugh because you're not sure if I'm going to make you name all of them. We can name the first four or five, you know, James, John, Peter. Yeah, and then, and then we kind of die off, you know, uh, because, because the truth is you don't know as much about the others as you think you do. We sort of feel like we know all 12, but actually it only tells us a lot about a few of them. And, and, um, and, and so even when you whittle it down to, to four or five that you know really well, unless you read history and Fox's Book of Martyrs, you start learning about the others. But the truth is, we all have a favorite. And I think for most of us, it's probably Peter, or at least we can relate to him. I mean, he's... Well, let me, let me show you out of Matthew 26 why I think most of us at least relate to Peter the most. On the way, Jesus told them, on the way uh, to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross, this is the night he's going to be betrayed. On the way, Jesus told them, to the disciples, tonight all of you will desert me, for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and I'll meet you there. Now, I don't know about you, I love this passage, but the part that I think would have stuck out to me is the part where he raises from the dead. I mean, I think if Jesus says, and then I'm going to come back from the dead, I'd have been going, Wow. You're going to raise from the dead? That's not what the disciples grasped. T Peter, for instance, the guy who I'm probably most like, doesn't notice the powerful thing. Wait, you're going to die, and then you're going to come back to life? But this is what he declares. Even if everyone else deserts you, oh boy, is that Peter of the chosen. These others are the losers you think they are. And at this moment, there's only 11, remember? Because Judas is already gone. But even if everyone else deserts you. <laughs> I will never desert you. And Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows, before the sun comes up, you're going to deny me three times that you even know me. No. No. No, 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 no. Jesus. You've been right on everything so far, but not this. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples, I love this part, who are listening into this conversation. Yeah, me too. All the other uh, nine, uh, 11, 10. Forget the math. I'm a pastor. 
All the others, yeah, yeah, us too. I love that. They're all like, yeah, 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 we, we won't deny you either. We will die with you. So they vowed the same. Then Jesus went with us. So this conversation, while we read it in a moment, it's actually a 36-hour conversation. So we get, we get pieces of this conversation. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took uh, Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, now, now think about this, he tells these three that he wants to share this painful moment with, so of the 11, he chose three to be closest with him. And by the way, that's why we know these three so well, because you could argue, I'm not going to say favorite, but he was closest with these three. He pulls them aside, I'm hurting, Jesus the man, I'm hurting, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed, please come with me. And when they get there, he explains, he became anguished and distressed, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, please stay here and keep watch with me. That's, that's code for, man, I'm having a hard time, I just, don't do anything, just be with me. Ever felt that? Of course you have. When there's so much anguish and you can't fix the problem, you just don't want to be alone. That's what Jesus, our God and Savior, asks of them in this verse. So he went on a little while. Uh, he, he went on a little farther, and he bowed down his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Next verse. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't, you know, why Peter? Because Peter was the one who said, I will die with you. You couldn't even watch with me one hour? In other words, Jesus is keeping this conversation going. So you told me you would die with me, but you, you, can't, even, you can't even stay awake for one hour and you're proclaiming faithfulness into the end? That must have been incredibly guilt-rendering for Peter. Keep watching, pray, so that you will not give in to temptation. Now Jesus is saying, hey, look, so you didn't make it. You, you are exactly what I said you were that you argued about. You don't understand. It really isn't me that you should be praying for, so it's okay. Don't worry about me. I got this with my Father and the Holy Spirit that's ministering to me. That's what Scripture tells us. But now you need to pray for you because temptation is beginning to overtake you. And then he finishes it with this incredible statement, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, like us. L let me just take a moment, and I know that you are beat up by pastors, and you're always pushed, and you always feel beat up. So let me just say, I think that as much as we eye roll Peter when we hear him do things like this, I think Peter is full of good intentions and, 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 and actually thinks, means what he says. In fact, I would argue that if you and I were Peter in this moment, if you can just put the Peter of the chosen away and just kind of think through it for a second, I actually think Peter meant, I will die for you. But when it comes to staying awake, that's not as big a deal. I think he rationalized in his flesh. I don't think he realized. He's so dependent on Jesus, he doesn't even think that Jesus may be dependent on him in this moment. And, and so he just doesn't think much about it. Why do I think that? Because in a couple hours, Peter's going to pull out his pocket knife and defend Jesus, even though, even though there's hundreds of, of armored Roman soldiers around him, not to mention the temple police, and he's going to actually show what a lousy warrior he is by cutting off the high priest's ear. The dude doesn't even swing right. If you're going to kill somebody and you're going for the head, you go for the neck, right? I mean, at least that's what they do on NCIS. I mean, they go, they go like that. Peter's just flailing. And I think he does it because he means it. I think he's so ashamed, this is Mark, I think he's so ashamed for not staying awake and seeing that he's hurt Jesus 
that he actually overreacts and pulls out his little pocket knife. And by the way, we say sword. The Scripture infers that it's a little knife about that long. (laughs) That's why I call it a pocket knife. Against at least 500 warriors, yeah, you're not going to live long. I think Peter meant it. I think Peter is overcompensating. Now you know why I like Peter. Why say I'm like him? I do that with you. If you ever want to know a Sunday where I think I'm struggling, watch. I don't think I should tell you this. Actually, you'll notice that I get louder and more energetic. Why? Because I'm trying to pull you in. I'm like, these, Lord, I'm praying inside. Lord, these bunch of idiots are not listening to me. It could never be that I'm not making any sense. It's always your fault. But, it, but that's kind of what Peter does. I mean, when you look at that whole story, and I know, I know we talk a lot about this at Easter and different times of the year. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. Bad warrior Peter. But the truth is, I think that this is us. I think that we go, I, I love Jesus so much. I'm going to be faithful. And, and we mean it. We're so sincere. And we, we leave this place or, or, or worship or just our own t- devotional time. And we get in our car. And we're going to go to work. And we're going, you know, we're praying, dear Lord Jesus. Dear Jesus, that's a stick shift. None of you know what it is. But you're driving, you're driving down the road. I, today, let me witness to somebody. I've reviewed the Romans road, and I'm listening to worship. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. Dang it, you cut me off. I know, I just scared you. And, and I know you didn't say dang it. It's the same. We're all ready to witness for the truth. We're all ready to share Christ with people. We're ready to tell the church that we led somebody to Christ Sunday. But if somebody cuts me off in traffic, how dirty. No! This is a 1998 Cadillac with only half the car rusted out. It just, it's, it's sleeping when you're prepared to die. See, that's why I love Peter. Peter, I think, was ready to die and, in fact, later proves that he's ready to die but the problem is what Jesus said is that while the Spirit is willing, this is really weak. How do I know that? Because you'll leave this morning pumped up a little bit, ready to take your mom to Mother's Day lunch. It's the worst day of the world to go to a restaurant. I know you're hoping I'll finish so you can leave and go. You've got to beat Timber Creek, I'm just telling you. It's a lot of cars. But you just, you just want... You just want to get out there. The problem is you're going to go to Tokyo Steakhouse and you're going to be standing in line. I know half of you are going there now. Oh, I like their fried rice. It's just butter, but which is why it's so good. But you'll be standing in line and they're going to call the people in front of you who are really behind you and you're going to be like Jerry Seinfeld on Seinfeld going, excuse me, I was next in line. Hold on, Mom. I was next in line. Let's pray for our meal. Dear Jesus, help those wicked people that cut in line in front of us. May they get gas like never before. Our spirit is willing. If they said to you, do you know Jesus Christ? You'd be glad to tell them, but don't cut me off in traffic and don't you dare cut in line at a restaurant in front of me. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I actually think that most of us in this room are ready to die for Christ. I really do. I think I'm ready to die for Christ. You know, my th- I just shoot. Clearly, just, just aim, use a laser, get it over with. The problem is Mark is not as ready to live for Christ as he is to die for Christ. Do, do you know what I mean? I, I mean, it's just so easy in, in a way to die. That's so clear, but it's really hard to stay awake when I'm so tired. 
I mean, Jesus, you got this, right? You're praying. If Jesus really have a prayer meeting, that's fine, but I've been awake for 48 hours. I'm... And then he wakes you up and goes, you think you can die for me, but you can't stay awake? That's why we love Peter. That's why I love Matthew 26, because over and over, we, we realize that while we want to be the kind of man or woman who gives it all up for Jesus, we, we want to make our daddy in heaven proud and be considered faithful to the task. We want to live that, the kind of life that draws others to want to know Jesus like Peter, though the Spirit may be willing. We want that, but the flesh is very weak. And I... Uh, let me read for you today's text because I, I got to tell you something. I think as a youth pastor when I was and even in some of my preaching, when I say those guys like me, I'm actually including myself in some of my preaching in the past and the Lord is really changing my heart. We are motivational preachers in many ways and so we try to motivate people to run from sin when the reality is that's not where the power to overcome the weak flesh comes from. Look at today's text in verses 3 and 4. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the one who has called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Lord Jesus, I ask you now, your Holy Spirit that lives within your children and your Holy Spirit that fills this room and the rooms where people are, leaving, are listening, whether it's live, whether it's through a podcast, whether it's, whether it's while they're driving, your Holy Spirit can speak to them. And I pray that you'd move the opinions of Mark away and, and just teach us from, from your word, from your spirit, and transform us as a result. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Man, the first sentence of 2 Peter 1.3 is huge. By His, God's divine power, God has given us most of what we need. What does it say? Everything we need for living a godly life. The Greek words for, uh, for, that, for that divine power is actually theos dunamos, which means God's dynamite. We get the word dynamite from that Latin word, which is a Greek word. We get that. His, his dunamis, his dynamite. So the power that he's talking about here is explosive from the inside out, not the outside in. Jesus said that while the Spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was given to us as the solution for our fleshly weaknesses. His supernatural dynamite power to blast through the weakness of the flesh to live godly lives. That's something that the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane did not have. Yes, they were empowered for their ministry and their tasks, but they were not inhabited permanently by the Holy Spirit. And at Pentecost, that's what happened. And I know a lot of crazy things happened in the book of Acts to express that the Holy Spirit had come, but I want you to know that all the stuff that changes lives is actually within you. It's actually there. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I mean, it says we have everything we need to be what God has left us here to be in this world, to do what we all have said we wanted to do, live lives that honor God, that fulfill His work for us in an evil world, and even fight against the desires of our flesh. We have received all of this, it tells us, in 1 Peter 3b, the end of that sentence, 
we have received all of this, the stuff, the dynamite we need for a transformed life, by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. You see, for most of us, we, we look at Peter and we go, silly, silly Peter. But we look at ourselves, and, and I, again, I'm not dogging you. I have, my wife does it too. We'll be driving down there. I'm just kidding, Julie. I promised when we first got married I would never use you as an example. My son. The truth is, we, we leave, you can leave this place, and your kids can get on your last nerve, and you just, and it's like, that was not okay. And then you hear this, you read this text, and you kind of go, what's wrong with me? And we immediately go to, well, you know, I don't, I don't seem to have that. How do I get it? I, I want to, the answer is, the second you got saved. And I, and I want to take a few moments, and I want to go through how you got saved again, and what happened at the moment of salvation, according to Ephesians chapter 1. First of all, what happened? And, and I want to say before we jump into this, I know that most of what we do in ministry today, whether it's Billy Graham that you love, or an evangelist, or even most of the pulpits, and I think it's a major mistake from the pulpits, is evangelism. So most of evangelism works off the concept of uh, the fear of the Lord. And so the question is, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And everybody goes, no, well then walk this aisle and pray this prayer and you won't go to hell. And that's the end of our discipleship. But I want you to know that a lot more happened at the moment of your salvation than just transferring from hell to heaven. That was only one side product of what really happened. And Ephesians actually, chapter 1, starting in verse 3, actually tells us what happened. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with most of the spiritual blessings. Every. So basically, he's saying the same thing Peter said. You have, at the moment of salvation, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Everything. Everything you will ever get has already been given to you. Well, I don't have the crown of life yet. It's being held for you. Remember, we talked about that in 1 Peter. It's stored up where, where rust can't get it. Moth can't destroy it. Nobody can steal it. It's protected by God for you. Even before, the wor uh, before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. But here's what He decided to do. God decided in advance, and here's what He did. It has nothing, it has very little to do with hell. Here was His plan. God had decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. So what did Jesus do? Made us holy so that we can, accomplish, we can be in the, in the relationship God wanted us. And that is His adopted kids. This was never really about you not going to hell or being condemned by God. This was really about adopting you into His family. And that's why Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house there are many rooms. He's going there because that's home. That's where the children of God live when they die. They leave their task here and they go to heaven. They go to be with God. And we think that it's just not going to hell. It's not just not going to hell. It's actually going to the place where you are with your family. If you want to know what heaven is like, it's not like the TBN studios. That's an old joke I make. It's not at all like a worship room. It's not at all cold. It's where you kick your shoes off and even your stinky feet, and you walk around. Why? Because it's home. This is not home. And I know more and more of us are feeling that. 
This is a weird world with a weird value system. How could anyone, especially a political party or a group of people right now, be so excited to kill babies? And I'm not speaking against Democrats and for Republicans. I just don't understand the depravity in which we live today. It makes no sense to me. I have a three and a half week old grandson that still gets in the fetal position. He still pulls his legs up. His legs still look cold from being outside of his warm mother's body. It is so weird to think somebody thinks that's just a match. Well, once they're born, they become human. What? It's weird. It's, this is not my home, not my place, not my value system. But instead of getting mad, it's understanding that it isn't my home, it isn't my place, it isn't my value system. My value system, my worldview is being transformed by the Holy Spirit in end. He's changing the way I think and therefore changing the way I behave. I mean, the truth is, I have a different mindset than the world. Completely. And so do you. Good news. You are the freak you think they treat you like. You are exiles. This is not your world. And to try to fix this world without Jesus won't fix this world. If it didn't work for the Jews, having God's law and teaching them how to maintain it, it ain't going to work for us in America. The only thing that's going to work is Jesus Christ. Transformed. Coming in and changing the way we think. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. Why would he do that? Because he wanted to. And when you're God, you get to do what you want to. Why did he want to? It gave him pleasure. When you accepted Christ at six years old or 60 years old or 16 or 32, God went, yeah, all three of him. Got another one. Yeah. That brings him joy. He loves that. We like to talk about other things like the angels. It says that the angel in heaven celebrate when one man or woman comes to Christ as if that's better than God. This tells us that it isn't just the angels celebrating. They're celebrating because God is celebrating. He smiles when people get saved. If you want a right relationship with God, go to Jesus. Accept his offer to forgive your sin, and God the Father on the throne and the Holy Spirit, all three of him, will smile. That gives him pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with wisdom and understanding. That's the part that misses in our gospel presentation. You see, he didn't just show you mercy and grace at the moment you were saved. You don't have to be judged. You're not condemned. But it actually says that at the moment of salvation, he showered on us wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us the mysterious plans regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his good pleasure. Once again, why did God do this? Makes him happy. You know what the most important thing to God is? Himself. If that bothers you, then don't bow the knee. It's not man. It's not people. Humanism says humans are the most important thing. After whales. Humanism says people are at the center of the universe. The Bible says God is. And the reason that he wanted to show mercy to people is because that makes him happy. It pleases him. God is a self-pleasing God. And you please him. Unless you're his enemy. If you want to do this on your own, you get to, but that doesn't make you the friend of God, and it doesn't make you his child. You have rejected his adoption. But children of God, everything changed at salvation. 
You were adopted into his family. You were redeemed. And guess what? He begins the process of the Holy Spirit that is within transforming the way you think. I'll keep reading, and I'm in verse 9 here. I'll just read on the screen. God has now revealed to us the mysterious uh, plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. Stay ahead of me, Kevin. Here we go. There it is. We skipped him. I'm going to find it on here. There it is. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't just hell that you lost and heaven you gained, but you received the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give you the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people He did this so that we would praise and glorify Him. By the way, for those of you who wonder if you can lose your salvation, the answer is not if the Holy Spirit has come in. That's guarantee. Who's guarantee? God's. It's not like a Sears guarantee. It's not like a Lowe's guarantee on your refrigerator that you have to prove to them that there's a problem or that that you bought it from Lowe's. This is a God guarantee. It's a good guarantee. And if He doesn't keep His word, He's not worth worshiping. He's not holy. He guarantees it. Ephesians 2 goes on to explain our lives before salvation and after. I'm getting back to 2 Peter, I promise. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, constant state of sin, before salvation. Just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commanders of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. So that describes what a Satan-following life is. The unsaved life. Basically, you just do whatever you feel like doing. That's how it's described by Paul here. By our own very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. So something happened. We didn't just get heaven, we got power, transformation. Excuse me. The very same Holy Spirit that resurrected Christ, and it tells us that the third member of the Trinity raised the second member of the Trinity. That's the dunamis of God. Apparently, also gives life to our mortal bodies at the moment of salvation. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and has seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. But you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Here it goes. For we are God's workmanship. We are all His masterpiece. He did all the work. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we don't go to hell. It's not what it says. While that's a side benefit, there is an intention as to why God saved you. Not just because it pleased Him, but there's a goal in this. So that we can now do the good things He planned for us long ago. And yet most of us, like Peter, we're waking up and God's going, you couldn't even stay awake. 
I know you're going to die for me. I know you're willing. Good for you, pat, pat, pat. That'll happen one day. But I'm not even asking you to die today. I just asked you to stay awake. I just asked you, asked you to react like me. And we go, well, that's not natural to me. This is just who I am. Let me specifically talk to what most of you experienced in church growing up. It seems like we've always been real strong on sexual morality. The problem is we have been real loose on slander, gossip, overeating. Those things are listed as sins too. How about rebellion? Oh, that's just, you know, with slander, that's just Martha. She lives alone. She's just... She doesn't mean it. And she did say bless, bless his heart. It's almost like that makes it okay. Slander, Scripture says, this is witchcraft. And you know what does a whole lot more damage, damage than a pastor who commits adultery? Because it's, under, it's just under the surface. But we tolerate it. Why? Oh, we're just human. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. The grace of God covers all sin. As if it's okay to continue to live a certain way simply because we all struggle. The truth is, the goal of the Christian life is really separated living or holiness. And this passage in Peter actually says that we have everything we need for that. It's not just there. Look at Romans chapter 8. So we've looked at first and second, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2. Now we're looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So in other words, nobody's going to hell if you're a child of God. And I want to start by saying, if you don't want to live under the condemnation of God, Jesus Christ is the way to avoid that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can come to the Father through me, but there's no other way to come to the Father except through me. Clear teaching of Jesus. So if you want to be right with God, if you don't want to face Him as the judge, you run to Him. Admit you're a sinner and admit He's the only one that can save you. For the rest of you, you've done that. But I think we've lowered our standards in the church to just being human. You know, I'll go witnessing with the church when the church does that, but short of that, I'm not really a witness in the world. I mean, let me ask you, when was the last time you shared Christ with somebody? Okay, I won't ask that again. I mean, that's a tough question, isn't it? Because it's like, well, I, I don't have many opportunities. Well, then you're not building relationships with sinful people. When was the last time you posted something politically about morality? Boy, that was easy, wasn't it? But what are we more passionate about, morality or Jesus Christ, salvation, a relationship with God, understanding, living like Jesus? This is the difficulty. We go, yes, I want to be that guy, but I can't. Don't give up. Don't give up because you already have everything you need to do that. Romans chapter 8, now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, the dunamis, the dynamite of the life-giving spirit, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. In other words, it doesn't own you anymore. You don't have to yell at people when they cut you off in traffic. You don't have to put that one-way sign up. And I know that's that finger. I remember in the 70s, one way to heaven, right? Because some of you have done it to me without knowing it. I was driving my, I'm kidding, you haven't done that. If you're visiting with Carpenter's Way, he's always like this. You don't have to do that. The problem is we kind of like it. I'm not letting that guy get away with that. Or that waitress shouldn't have that in her nose. I just don't like it. And how dare that guy offend me by wearing his pants around his, his knees. Actually, last time I checked, most of them have really clean underwear. <laughs> do you ever wonder why we get offended at stuff? It's not our world. 
It's really, really not our world. Why do we get upset when their car bounces up and down and the bass is blowing their eardrums out? It's not blowing my eardrums out. Why do I get upset? Because they're changing our culture. I got news for you. Our culture ain't that great anyway. What we long for is heaven. And we keep trying to make it on earth. The truth is we are the exiles. We are the aliens. And the truth is we have the power to live like Christ in this world. So preacher, are you saying I can live sin-free? I am saying that you have been redeemed of your sin, forgiven, and you have the power in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, the dynamite power, to live changed. So you expect me to be perfect. I don't expect anything out of us except what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. And I'm not going to answer that sucker question. So is a person who doesn't live sin-free saved? Yes, ask Peter. But we keep making excuses for our sinfulness. The truth is we're not supposed to talk to each other and make exceptions for each other. Yes, we struggle with sin. You do anyway. I don't. I haven't sinned in four years. Why do you laugh when I say stuff like that? The truth is you're laughing because you know I'm lying. And that's a sin. I mean, the truth is we're struggling with sin, but many of us have, don't struggle with sin anymore. We just go, well, that's just, just me. You know, I'm just super opinionated. No, it's called slander. You know, I just like, I'm not an alcoholic. I just drink 14 beers a day. You're an alcoholic. We rationalize our behavior as if it's okay. And when you're a child of God, you don't have to live like that. Doesn't mean you won't be depressed or struggle with the flesh. Last time I checked, Jesus struggled with the flesh. For 40 days, he was tempted in the wilderness, but he didn't sin. Temptation isn't a sin. But the power of God has given us the ability to overcome it. What verse are we on? Am I only on verse 2 of Romans chapter 8? we got to hurry. Crazy. The, the, verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in, bod, uh, in, in a body like we sinners have. And in this body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied. That's why we get to go to heaven. Who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. You see, here's the other problem. You go to church, you go to Bible study, and people are like, don't lust with your eyes. Don't argue with your parents. So we start listing the thing. But that is not what it says here. It actually doesn't say stop doing stuff. It says start doing something else. And that is instead of looking at your flesh and your weaknesses, look at God. Let the Holy Spirit follow Him. So our prayer every morning shouldn't be help me not lust today, help me not lie, help my anger issues. It should be help me follow you. Which, by the way, is very different. It's very different. Because one stares at you and your sinfulness and how you keep screwing up, and the other looks at God. Verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of the living God in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them don't belong to Him. So if you want to know the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, it's just answered here. One has the Holy Spirit and one does not. Well, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit in your life. It's not complicated. 
It's just scary. To look in the mirror? How about this? Ask your spouse. Ask your mom and dad. Do I live like the Holy Spirit controls me? Wow, you better set aside an hour. That's a complicated answer, but it is the question. Verse 8, 9. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, all those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even through your, though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Cut off in traffic. Sleep when Jesus asks you to stay awake. You don't have to follow the flesh. It's just so hard. Of course it's hard. That's why it's called a spiritual battle. That's why Romans 7, the chapter right before this, Paul says, wretched man that I am, why do I keep doing the things that I hate? Because the spirit is weak, or the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Romans 2, verse 3. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for holy living and a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So much more happened at salvation than just going from your destination, being apart from God, to being with God. We are not merely saved. We are adopted into a new family with new life and new responsibilities. And I know that you're probably thinking what Peter had to be thinking when he woke up for the third time that night. What is wrong with me? If this is available to me, then why don't I experience this victory over sin in my flesh that is apparently available to me? The Word of God answers that too. Are you ready? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It answers that. Here we go. It's coming up. It's going to be on the screen. It's going to be this big interest. Therefore, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's such a stinky job up there. I want you to know it. The only time they get any attention is when I point them out. Thank you. All right, here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off the weight that so easily slows us down, especially the sin. Don't, don't go to the next verse until I tell you to. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And here is where guys like me go, so get rid of all your magazines, all your records that don't have Jesus in them, played forward. Here's where we burn our books that we don't like. Here's where you never go to movies overrated PG and, and probably maybe even G. Uh, we, we start telling you what to do. But the very next verse tells you how we do this. How is it that I, I get rid of the sin that easily trips me up, that I run with endurance the race God has set before me? Verse 2, here we go. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's it. Not on yourself. Not on your happiness. Not even your sin that you've struggled with. You don't overcome the sin by obsessing over the sin. You overcome the sin by the power of Jesus and keeping your eyes on Him. He's the one who saved you. I am confident, Paul wrote in Philippians, that He who began the good work will finish it. Brothers and sisters, you're working too hard. Peter was arguing too hard with Jesus. I will die with you. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. Tonight's going to be such a hard night for you. No way. It won't be, but I am going to need my sleep. 
All Peter asked, Jesus asked of Peter that night was to stay awake. Didn't ask him to defend him. Didn't ask him to kill the enemies. Just say, just stay awake. And by the way, pray for yourself. <sighs> Boy, isn't that us? I know you're willing to share Christ with the lost. And I know if God asked of you, you would take the stand and you would even be persecuted and killed. But you know what? He's not asking us of that right now. You know what he's asking us to do? Stay awake. So what's your response? I mean, some of you are choosing your flesh. You're living in a way that doesn't honor God, and you know it, and you're just like, well, at least I'm saved. How are you sure you're saved if you have no concern for sin? Seriously. If you are living in a state of big sin, and you know what I mean, I mean the clear stuff, not the, not the small stuff, but the big stuff, if you're living in a way that doesn't honor the Lord, how do you know you're saved if you have no problem with that? How can the Holy Spirit be so silent? I'm just asking friend to friend. If you are right now living in a relationship or with yourself, if you are living with whatever, I don't even need to make a list, but if you are living in an unsinful way, an, un, an unrighteous way, and you're leaning on something you did when you were a baby and walked an aisle, I got news for you. If you don't see the, the dunamis of God working in your life, even convicting you of sin, you should be worried. Because the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is not VBS prayer. It's the Holy Spirit's presence. And if you have no conviction of the Holy Spirit, you should be terrified of whether He's there or not. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just pleading with you. We've turned this into a game where I'm only going to do for Jesus what I want to do for Jesus because I prayed a prayer and I, at least I'm going to heaven. How do you know that if the Spirit of God is not working in you? I think that's a fair question, is it not? I'm not talking about struggling with sin. We all struggle with sin, knowing we have the power within us not to give in to temptation. We still do it. We still struggle. God is still gracious. He's already forgiven us of that. I'm talking about those of you who are living in an actual state of sinfulness and you don't care. That's scary to me. And if that is your life, you better run back to Jesus as fast as you can because something's missing. I'm, I'm talking as your friend. We've turned this into a club. I'm part of the Christian club. But Jesus even says, not everybody in here is of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. What am I not doing here? I am not saying that Christians don't sin because chapter 7, right before chapter 8 that I just read you, Paul is like, what is wrong with me? Why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? And I, I hate it. I'm such a confused man. But that is a side of the Holy Spirit. When you struggle with sin, when you are cut off in traffic and you do offer them eternal life, when you do whatever, when your kids set you off, it's, thank you, Lord, for grace. Help me, help me be more like you. But if you can do that every day, if you can gossip every day, if you can slander, if you treat your employees like crap, and you have no guilt and shame or conviction, something's cold, like a dead body. I'm tired. I get, well, I'm, I'm going to stop there. Because I, I'm pleading with you. This is about Jesus. It's not about church in the South. It's about a real relationship with God. And the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in and he's described the dunamis of God, the dynamite of God. And he is a transforming power. And I got to tell you something. 
I'm hearing from a lot of people in this church who are going, wow, I have never seen God like I am now. I'm with you. I'm with you. I have never, ever seen God comfort me and see the world in new eyes. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. Let me jump. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. That was the prayer of Paul to the, for the church of Colossae. Spiritual understanding. Then the way you will live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. It's all about knowing God personally. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior, uh, 12, 1. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but God, let God transform you. In other words, no self-help. Don't decide to stop sinning. Instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Your prayer this morning, if God is speaking to you, should not be, all right, help me to work harder at, being, at, at, at honoring you with my life. It should be, I surrender. Change the way I think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you is, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 2 Peter 1.3, Peter wrote it this way, and I'm almost done. By His divine power, God has already given us everything we need for living a godly life. You have received all of this by coming to know Him at the moment of salvation, the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. Do you want to live a godly life? Do you want to stay awake when your flesh wants to sleep? Do you want to overcome that sin that so easily entangles us? Then you're going to have to decide that Jesus Christ is the most important person in your life. Not your wife, not your children, not your desires. And there does come a point in every life of a follower of Jesus when you say, even if I remain single and lonely, yet will I serve you. Even if I struggle with anxiety, I will not feed my flesh to overcome it, I will serve you. Even if I live miserable the rest of my life, I will live miserable to honor the king. See, we've tried to marry worship of the flesh, which is ideology, personal happiness, and the service of the Lord. And you can't marry the two. James said you either serve one or the other. And that's why so many Christians are unhappy. Because we're trying to marry our flesh with God and you can't do, you've been crucified, that's been dead, it's gone. Remember when you were baptized? Remember that imagery in there? This, this is the baptism of Jesus. It's not the baptism of salvation, that's the Holy Spirit. But when you go down in that water, you are telling the congregation, the people watching, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You go down in the water and you say, I'm dead to me and I'm alive to Christ. I'm going to live for the value system of the kingdom. I'm going to surrender life to the control of the Holy Spirit. And I know that most of us have been at conferences about things and marriage and all this, and there's only one thing God's actually asking from you, not a hundred things. Now that you're saved, He's asking you to give control of your life to the Holy Spirit. That should be your prayer this morning. Your prayer this morning is, should not be, unless you're not sure you're saved. Your only prayer should be, I surrender all. Whatever that means. And then five minutes later, when your kids make you mad, I surrender all. Do you remember, do you remember the Seinfeld episode, Serenity Now? Yeah, that's it. Every time, Serenity Now. If for those of you who don't watch Seinfeld, I don't encourage it. But, the, but, but it's, it's like that every time George's dad 
was about to go off. He'd go, serenity now, serenity now, serenity now. And he finally learned to have peace. Now it's, I surrender now. I surrender now. Every 30 seconds, every two seconds. That's what it looks like to follow God. And when you blow it, you don't say, oh, I'm such a loser. <laughs> you go, thank you for the cross. I surrender now. This is such a problem for me personally, and I think I've shared this with you before, that I, don't, I, try, I very rarely now say I'm sorry. I say thank you. Because what Satan does is he uses that to get mad at me when the truth is there's nothing to be proud of myself. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who has offered me everything I need to live a godly life. What, my, what I really, really want, my spirit wants that, but my flesh is so weak. And so now, day after day, I'm trying to surrender my skin to match up with my God. How you doing? That is none of your business. Actually, it is. I struggle every day. It's your business. Because I don't have it all together. I don't even know anybody who has it all together. I do know people, though, who have surrendered control of their life to the Holy Spirit. And I want to be like that. And I ask you to join me. It's the answer. We already have what we need. We just have to stop trying to do it without Him. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word that is very relevant to our lives. And I pray, Father, that every man and woman who has heard Your Word this morning will be drawn to You. To You. Not to Carpenter's Way necessarily, not to the church, but to You. And as a result of that, we'll find the joy of serving the Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the gift of adoption. Thank you for the gift of salvation. And thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the dunamis of God that empowers us to live lives and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If, uh, if the Lord has uh, been talking to you this morning, we have communion over there. If you need to take a moment and just re-surrender control of your life to Him, you can do that. This will be a quiet place. If you'd like to talk to me, I'd like to...